If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Humans Vexus Manchester at home with me, Clint Boone. Across this mini-series, we're talking to some more of those inspirational Mancunians in order to continue to celebrate the spirit of this city whilst we're in lockdown. This week, I'm joined by broadcaster Vernon Kay. Vernon talks about growing up in Bolton. Everyone knew each other. Everyone spoke to each other. No one was really shy. You know, you get, hiya love, you alright? I love that. And he talks about his love for music and being a DJ. I think getting out there and, and playing tunes to people and watching their faces, watching their reaction, I, I don't think there's a, a, a better feeling in, in any form of entertainment. Gives me great pleasure to welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester, a Bolton-born legend, an old mate of mine, and uh, one of the country's best-loved TV and radio personalities. I had the pleasure of doing radio with him and we've done DJ gigs together. Uh, he's always great company. Vernon Kay, welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester. Thank you, my friend. This is very nice. It's a nice way of meeting again. I've not seen you for a while, but look at that beautiful face uh, smiling at me <laughs> <laughs> all over Zoom. <laughs> yeah, enough about yourself. I'm all right, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was uh, I was locked down, first of all, Vernon. Uh, I think like everyone, really, at first it took a lot of getting used to because we do enjoy our freedoms and it makes you realise the simple things in like just nipping to the shop. Yeah. You know, nipping out for a... I say nipping out, but going out for a beer with your mates and just real general social gatherings that you take for granted. Once they've gone, you kind of think, right, what am I going to do? And the positive of it all is it's enabled us as a a family to really not reconnect, but really get to know each other even better than you would a family. Because if you think about it, when you're in a relationship, a working relationship, you kind of, you wake up, you go to work, you get back, you have your dinner, you have tea, kids do their own work, you go to bed. So you only really see each other, really, for, what, four or five hours? Yeah. In a day, if that. And when you're, when you're in lockdown and you're spending 24-7 with each other, it really gives you the chance to, to really kind of reconnect and get to know each other better. or Not better, but you know what I'm trying to say? You, you kind of, you really get under the skin of your relationships with your kids and the missus and, and yeah. even your neighbours, you know. It's, it's so... From that side of thing, it's been really positive. But I think the social aspect of not going out, because I'm like you, Clint, I love people, I love, I love chatting, I love meeting so many different people and getting to know them. That's, that's been difficult. That's been yeah. really weird. And not being able to hug people as well. That's a weird one, isn't it? Like having to just talk from two or three metres away. I used to hug everybody I met me. Everybody yeah. used to get an hug and a bit of a kiss on the face. I'm not really a fist bumper. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm now doing that old Chris Miles thing because our, our, our dear old friend Milesy, he, 
he was one of them germaphobes, and he's kind of, I reckon he's living the dream right now, not having to touch people. <laughs> you were saying before about, was it Phoebe? She's doing a bit of an online test today, she for school. Yeah, yeah. I'm, Phoebe is, is 15 now, and Amber's, Amber's just about to turn 11, and, and she's doing, like, to be honest with you, Clint, this is what's really impressed us both, Tess and I, is that the 15-year-old, because she's in kind of a first year of GCSE prep, she's really knuckled down, really, really knuckled down, and, and she's grabbed the bull by the horns and kind of said to herself, do you know what, if I'm going to be the unlucky ones as such, who's got to go back and, 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 and do their GCSEs, unlike this year's kids, uh, she's like, I've got to really study, I've got to put some time in. And she's really, really, you know, got a timetable. She's scheduled her studies. She's doing really well. So we're really, really impressed. And Brilliant. I think that's another side of, of her that we're not necessarily seen um, on that scale before. Yeah. You know, and, and Amber, the youngest, has become really creative. We've got the pencils out the cupboard. Uh, she started using one of the, she got one of them little a- Apple pens that you can use on your iPad where you shade yeah. in and, you know, it does everything for you. She's become really, really good at that. So as far as the arts are concerned, you know, I've taught them both how to DJ uh, as, best <laughs> as best I can. Not as good as you, Clint, but as best <laughs> I can. Uh, so they can both beat match now. And it's, yeah. it's little things like that where you're like, all right, well, what can we do in lockdown? Yeah. Uh, what assets have we, have we got in the house that is yeah. going to enable us to A, fulfill our time and B, learn something? I think that's one of my favourite lines of the 40-odd 40, 40 episodes of this podcast. As far as the arts are concerned, I've taught them both how to DJ. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It yeah. is. Of course, it it's is. an art form, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and I think if you can if you can bring together all genres of music within an hour's mixtape, then yeah. I think you're winning. You know, because we'll go on to this. I've no doubt a little bit further on in this podcast, but too many DJs just. Uh, are so honed in on one specific genre of music. Yeah. And I get it, you know, if your passion is techno, if your passion is rock and roll music, if your passion is host music or whatever, I get that. Mm. But everything is readily available to everyone so easily these days. So why not expand your your passion for music, expand your passion for art, expand your, your passion for cars. Don't just, you know, I know so many people, I've got a couple of mates who collect Ferraris. I'm like, why? There's so many beautiful cars out there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, expand yeah, no your horizon. Yeah, variety. It's the spice of life. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your uh, your childhood first, Vernon. Born and bred in Bolton, weren't you? Yeah, just outside Bolton in, in, in Horwich, which is now the home of, of the Wanderers, Bolton Wanderers. And my mother-in-law. Yeah. We used to live at the top of the West Pennine Moors. So as a kid, I was never indoors. I was always, always outside. You know, it, it was brilliant. We used to live just literally on the back door of the Chinese gardens in Rivington. I don't know whether you know it. Yeah, I know that, yeah. Uh, near Rivington Pike. Yeah. We'd just be out playing all the time, you know. Uh, all those old school games like Foxes and Owens where you start off at, at nine o'clock when you woke up after your breakfast and the game didn't finish till half past five at night. <laughs> you just go off running around, running around the moors and you end up everywhere. Yeah. But I think what, what we've come to realise from those who have made it into the media and been successful from Bolton. It, it sits between Manchester, it sits between Liverpool, and I think it's got those two big influences, but it's also very unique and very personable because people do talk to each other. I said to me, a couple of Southern friends down here, not the Ferrari collectors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Good name for a band, isn't it? Good name for a band, that, the Ferrari collectors. Yeah, nice. I said, you know what? I said, in lockdown, everyone's become Northern. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, everyone's started respecting the neighbours. Everyone's actually talking to the neighbours. Everyone's 
leaning on the neighbours or the neighbours are helping us in, in getting on. I said, and that's the northern spirit. I said, that's exactly what it was like in Bolson growing up. Everyone knew each other. Everyone spoke to each other. No one was really shy. You know, you get, I love, you're all right. I love that. Yeah. Good, good, happy memories growing up in, uh, in Horwich, in Bolson, because we had the Horwich Leisure Centre where Paddy used to work as a lifeguard. And Maxine Peake apparently worked with him as well as a lifeguard. Did you know that? Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think that's, that's kind of, I hold Bolton in very, very high regard because I think that's the main key to my success is just having that ability to open up and talk honestly and just be yourself. And what about sport? Did you get into sport at an early age? Yeah, I, I, I like, as my mum says, I'm as thin as a bed lat. There's nothing to me, so you might have to explain the uh, explain the phrase bed lat to people around the world that have never heard of one. Yeah, a, a bed lat is but when you lift up your mattress. You remember those old school beds, all those little lats, slats. Yeah. Piece of wood. Uh, you're as thin as a bed lat. Yeah, so I was always in. I was always playing first team football and stuff like that. And then I got into American football after watching the Wonder Years on on yeah. telly. And I played uh, three years junior American football, playing for the Manchester All Stars. So my dad used to give me uh, a lift to training every Tuesday and Saturday morning. So he'd, he, my dad was a long-distance lorry driver, so he, but he'd always make sure that he was home on a Tuesday night and readily available on Saturday morning to take me to practice. And for three years, I never missed the practice. Never saw my dad any other day of the week because he was always grafting hard, trying to put food on the table. It kind of, you know, when, once you start getting into going out, your, your music interests go deeper, you realise that, you know, you can submerge yourself in, in, into music. All kind of sport went out the window, you know. And then, then 17, 18, you throw girls in the mix and it's all downhill from there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you say Dad was a long-distance lorry driver. Yeah. Did you ever jump in with him and go on trips like just sat in passenger seat? Yeah, all the time. All the time because, like, it's mainly in six weeks' holidays because my dad was like, because he was always aware and, and I don't want people thinking that my dad was never at home. So me and my dad was always at home. But because he was a long-distance lorry driver, I think the reason why I think he was home all the time is because I just remember him coming up the hill and, and going, hey, hey, Dad. Do you know what I mean? Because he'd go away like two, three nights at a time. And then he did long-distance lorry driving where he'd be away for a week. So he'd go down to like south of Italy, sometimes over to Turkey, uh, Greece, uh, south of Spain, France, all that kind of stuff, delivering all kinds of different bits and pieces or picking up different bits and pieces. Yeah, so we always went with him in the summer holidays. My brother loved it, wasn't really for me. When did you get into music? Was that early on in life? I think my dad was in a band, I think from this, he was in the same band from the age of 13, 14, all the way up to his late 60s. And they were a covers band mainly. I think they had one single, but Herman's Hermits back in the day were his warm up band. Really? <laughs> <Brilliant>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he'd been on the same bill as like the Beatles at times and Jimi Hendrix and stuff like that. Amazing. Based in Bolton, were they? Yeah, based in Bolton. Actually, here's a good fact for you. Here's a good fact for you. You like this one? So the Who had to change their original name of the Detours because that was the name of my dad's band. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a claim to fame, isn't it? Yeah. So the Who became the Who because they couldn't be the Detours because the Detours were my dad's band up north. Amazing. And yeah, so music, I got into music properly at the age of 13, 14, I think it was. Uh, mid to late 80s and I was into everything I'm still into everything I, I, I like 
I like music that really motivates me. I like music that really moves me. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be like a deep, dirty, aggressive techno tune to get the blood pumping. Or it can be some really melodic Chopin that I kind of sit down and just relax and have it on in the background. So if someone said to me, what kind of music do you like? I always say I like music that moves me. I like music, music that really drives emotion, positive and negative. You know, music that makes me cry, music that makes me dance. Because I think that's what, me personally, I think that you get a real essence of what the person was trying to portray when they wrote that piece. Yeah. Uh, it's true, isn't it? Like beautiful music transcends limitations of genre, doesn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you and I could sit for days on end just playing tunes and we could just go up and down in peaks and troughs because you say, all right, give me a sad tune. You'd be like, yeah, all right, here you go, have that. But also, it's all about memories. There's a, like, a Will Smith song, funnily enough, I, can't, I think it's Summertime, where he says about music and the smell from a girl can spark off nostalgia. Music, for me, always sparks off memories, always. It really does, because it's always in the background of whatever you're doing. And I think that's why it's really important not to be a music snob, but to really cherish the past, the present, and hopefully you know, create the future. It's funny, I was sat in this room at my home studio, I was in here yesterday morning doing some work on some artwork thing that I've been doing, and um, I had the radio on, I was listening to K-Rock in LA, this big famous indie station that the Inspirals had a great relationship with back in the day, and I thought, I'll put K-Rock on, and I was listening to it, they're playing a lot of 90s stuff, and I got this intense feeling of melancholy, like quite sad, in a funny sort of way, you know what I mean? Just, I just had a moment of like where I just glazed over and started thinking, and it took me right back to that moment, you know, like nearly 30 years ago, whatever it was. So music is a very powerful thing like that. And I got a question for you. I got a question for you. When you listen to music and when you play the music that you play when you're DJing, do you, because of what you just said, like all oh, that 90s music really sparks off your memories. And I, I would imagine you've got really happy memories and some sad memories as well. Mm. When you're DJing, do you shut that off? all of that kind of memory button. I completely embrace it. I, I completely, I get into the emotion of it. Even though some of these records I play week in, week out, like when I said I DJ at United with Stream the other night, Saturday night, I, did, I just did one hour, eight till nine. And within those 12 or 13 songs, I was tearing up at some points because I still get affected by, like moving on by James. Yeah. And Set You Free by Entrance. These are songs that connect with me in a real, profound way really and so yeah I still feel it when I'm DJing very much the emotion and I think people see it and feed off it I'm not just pressing play it's like I'm, I'm completely feeling it and I won't play a record that I don't love you know what I mean it's like even yeah. if it's an Inspiral tune somebody might request something and it's like nah I can do better than that you know what I mean I do, <laughs> I do play this outfield I do play Saturn 5 and I love what those songs have brought to my life and my career really so but yeah I mean um I think, if anything, I'm quite an emotional DJ in, in our field of music, and I'm a, I'm a conduit to the crowd, you know what I mean, through those records. Yeah. So that's my kind of DJ, and I don't mess with the beats. I don't I do not do mad mixes. It's like I, I think about the fact that these people that made these amazing records, they were geniuses, and they spent you know months and months writing and recording a song like Blue Monday. So who am I to you know mix it in with? some shit indie record that is pristine as it is so that's yeah. why when i dj i don't mess with them i just play the, i do shout boon army over it occasionally yeah. <laughs> which is just sacrilegious in a sort of way but people shout it back but i love that because you're playing it 
as it was meant to be played. Yeah, exactly. That's it. How the people designed it to be, you know, yeah. they, they designed that, that BPM is what they thought about and went with. So, you know, who are we to slow it down, speed it up or chop it about? I used to hate remixes. I used to hate remixes. I'm thinking, why, why are you ruining the original? And then I think, no, I, I kind of like the fact that a remix is, it's like me and you sitting down in a pub. I'll have a Guinness, you'll have a lager. And then we'll get together and discuss, why have you had a Guinness? Well, why have you had a lager? Yeah. You know, we've got our both, our both got our own opinions, but yet our Guinness and our lager are doing exactly the same thing and getting us tipsy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a weird analogy, but I think that's, no, I've embraced the remix because it's someone else's slant on your creativity. Yeah. Adding your own little salt and pepper. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, there's a market for it and, you know, people love it. So. Yeah. But just for me, I'm, I'm a bit of a... I'm going to say purist. I just think that, you know, these people created it for a reason. Let's leave it like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like getting the Mona Lisa and, you know, painting it day glow, isn't it? It's like... Tagging it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you done any DJing recently? Well, I mean, before the lockdown, he's still doing the DJing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of... I, I, when, when my mates say, oh, what are you going to play? I'm like, listen, I'm the best wedding DJ in the world. Because I, I think... If you're at the events that we've DJed at, Clint, people there want to be entertained. You know, they're, they're not going to stand in front of you for eight hours and they're not going to be on a progressive journey of, of, of musical experiment. They just want to be entertained. So therefore, you've got to get in the bag, you've got to get out the floor fillers. And I think it's important that good DJs look at the crowd and they guide the audience to a destination. I think bad DJs start off at their end destination and go backwards, and it doesn't work that way. Or they turn up with a pre-written out set list of what they're going to play, regardless of what the audience exactly. is like. And... Exactly. You could, you could be stood in front of like a thousand Hindus, <laughs> and you know for a fact that any kind of deep techno tune ain't going to work. Or, you know, like tunes that rouse the lads, you know, they're not going to work. You, you're going to dig in the bag and get the old you know, classic side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, you always play to your audience. And I, I absolutely love it. I really do. I, I like, it became a, a weird kind of kink for me in that I, I became obsessed with other DJs on the list. I, came, I became obsessed with their rider lists. Right, yeah. What other DJs required and what other DJs demanded on, on this rider list. Because my rider list is dead simple. Uh, four Coronas, two cans of Coke and one towel, black. That's it, right? Because I get the beer, I can get the sugar rush. And if I'm enjoying myself, I'm going to be piss wet through. So I need to get rid of that. Uh, I won't name any names, but I was DJ in a, in, a, in a very popular holiday resort in Greece. And a DJ before me ordered, ordered a cheese platter with no less than 13 cheeses oh, on the man. cheese platter. Right? And I thought, <laughs> this guy's taking the piss. I thought he's having a laugh but he was dead serious. And he complained that there were only a selection of three crackers. <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant. You've got to name him. Can you not name him? <laughs> I can't name him. Can't name him. I'm not about that, but right. it just cracked me up. I'm like, oh my God, really? Your technical rider for when you do a DJ set contains something that I've never seen before, a four foot high table. Yeah. So when we DJed together in Wilmsville, we had this really, I mean, <laughs> it came up to my nipples, this thing. You know what I mean? I was like, that track DJ, like that. Because like, <laughs> you're so tall, is that? Do you still have that four foot high table? Yeah, well, if you, I, I, it's got to be, because the thing is, is I'm getting old. 
right? And because of the American football, I, I get a really bad back if I stoop for longer than 10 minutes. Right, yeah. So I'm like, it's got to be a high table. So I, I'm like a, I'm like a kid on a high chair when I do it. I know. And I was like, like that. I'm, I'm not like that. <laughs> you're right, Vernon. You're all... <laughs> I, th- I think we have to get you a chair. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, yeah, it's got to be a high table because I, I just like just like it nice in front of me because I'm quite obsessive compulsive this year. So yeah. if it's not right, it'll throw me off. Yeah. But I, I think getting out there and, and playing tunes to people and watching their faces, watching their reaction, I, I don't think there's a, a, a better feeling in, in any form of entertainment than, than DJing. And I think that's why the good ones make the money that they do because they orchestrate the mood of the crowd. Uh, and that's the key to being a good DJ. It's not necessarily about your tunes. It's it's where you put the tunes and how you get a rise from the people in front of you. Because these days, kids have paid a lot of money to see some of these DJs. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's all and like if you're doing a corporate event and you DJ, and that you just think, well, hang on a minute, these guys have just listened to last year's annual figures for for two and a half hours. They want to have a good time. So. <laughs> They do. I do a lot of them corporate gigs, or I did. I don't know if they'll be coming back soon, but yeah, some of the states that I saw people get into after like, like say, four or five hours of corporate bollocks, and then suddenly oh, it's party time, and they're all battered. These people, aren't they? But yeah. yeah, hopefully we'll be back in that world again soon because uh, it's always a pleasure in it, like say, connecting with them. Right at the beginning of your career, before your, your illustrious TV and radio career, is it right you were a model at the beginning? Yeah, I. I uh... What was I doing at the time? I was working in my cousin's DIY shop. I did all kinds of jobs when I left. I did environmental science at college. And I, can't, I was a stereotypical kid living for the weekend. I used to love going out in Manchester. Friday, well, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. I was always out in Manchester, shopping in Manchester on Saturday afternoon for my outfit, if I could afford it. And a friend of mine said, look, why don't you get the day off? Because I used to cut wood, just panels of eight by four, cut them down or cut down fence posts and things like that in my cousin's DIY shop. And he said, get a day off work, we're going to the clothes show. I'm like, clothes show? What do you want to go there for? He went, come on, it'd be great fun. I'm like, no, it won't. He went, come on, it'd be brilliant. I'm like, why? He went, my sister went, she said it's brilliant. I went, yeah, your sister. He went, no, it's <laughs> going to be good. Don't worry about it. Was so, this G-Max? No, this was at Birmingham NEC. Right. So at the time, there was a... It's a bit of a long-winded story, but bear with me. I became friends with a footballer who played for Bolton called Sasa Churchitz. He was a Yugoslavian international. And he had no mates in Bolton. And he just so happened to bump into myself and all my mates and their girlfriends and their mates' sisters. So we were in this nightclub called The Temple in Bolton. And there must have been about 35 of us, like massive group of people, all having one of them nights where everything happens. It's all in sync. It's just a great, great night. And he's like, oh, my God, you lot are mad. I'm like, yeah, do you mind if I join you? I'm like, no, no, no. So anyway, after that night, he kind of befriended us and we befriended him. And he got transferred to Aston Villa and he had the worst time ever. So he said, come and visit me in in Birmingham, please. I'm like, yeah, all right, then we'll cheer you up. So we coincided going to clothes show and visiting Sasser at the same time. And... Whilst we were there at the clothes show, I got scouted by a modelling agent called James, who I still keep in touch with to this day. Uh, And he went, I'm from Select Model Agency in London. Uh, You've got a quirky look. Do you fancy uh, giving it a go? I was like, no, it's not for me, that, mate. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) A quirky look. And one of my mates went, come on, do it. I'm like, oh. And we'd had a couple of beers. And, the, and, and Luke, my mate, he said, look, if you go on, on this catwalk thing, I'll get the beers for the rest of the afternoon. 
I'm like, yeah, all right then, I'll do it. Because I didn't have a pot to piss in. So I did it, and that was on a Friday. And then the following Friday, I was living in a bed and breakfast in Paddington and never came back. Wow. That was it, took a week. And my mum thought I was mad. My dad thought, just go for it, go for the opportunity. You, my dad said, go on, go for it. What's the worst you could do? You could always be a lorry driver. Incredible. So that's literally, that. that's what led you to your, your career, isn't it? Yeah, so then they were making a documentary. It was one of the first kind of docu-soaps on, on British telly. It was called uh, Babe Watch. God, <laughs> what a horrible name. But it was on at the same time as Maureen's Driving School. Remember that? Yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember Babe Watch. Yeah, 97 <laughs> it was. And I'll be honest with you, I loved it because for two years, I did nothing but party, drink and have a good time. And I didn't make any money. In fact, I left the agency nine and a half grand in debt when I finished modelling. And it was just two years. It was kind of, it was a nice stopgap, really, because I was living for the weekend, going out in Manchester, having a great time, loving it, blah, 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 blah. But I never really knew what I wanted to do until, because I kind of had a sixth sense. It was weird. I thought, something's going to happen. I'll be all right. I'll get, I'll get by. And then... They were filming this docu-soap about the modelling agency, not just me and my two flatmates, but the agency as a whole. And they realised that once they had scouted us at the clothes show, that a guy from Birmingham, me from Bolton, and a guy called Greg from Scunthorpe, who's the most handsome man you've ever seen. <laughs> we were living in a one-bedroom flat in Peckham, and they thought, right, that's the story for the documentary. And then we became kind of the pivotal characters of it. And then someone said, oh, do you want to get into telly? I was like, yeah, I'll give that a go. And then it was just what we were talking about before. The first job I did, I did it for, 18, uh, for eight months. I was stood in Covent Garden with a beatbox and all the singles on CD of that week's chart releases. And we'd vox pop, we'd ask people, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And we'd just get an opinion of the public of this week's chart releases. Right. And it, and it just goes back to what we were talking about before, because being from Bolton, you can talk to anyone, you know, like, you know, every, everyone's your mate, I guess. Yeah. And it, and it went down really well. We had such a laugh just saying, ah, excuse me, do you mind listening to this new YouTube track and tell us what you think? Yeah, no problem. That was it. And then it just snowballed from there, really. And that was for TV, though. What was that show called? Yeah, that was a show called uh, The Phone Zone on UK Play. It was, it was a digital comedy, music and comedy channel. And it was, it was such a good laugh because... I didn't know what telly was. I didn't know about any of the fundamentals of, of how to be a TV presenter. Uh, some people will say I still don't. But <laughs> learning, learning, having, being taught the skills and learning the skills by being thrown in at the deep end was something that I think I was really fortunate enough to embrace. But also, it just doesn't happen these days, Clint. Yeah. You don't get time to, to bed in and, or, 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 or ground yourself into a, the industry because you're either off a reality show and thrown straight into it with a microphone. Whereas I was off a reality show and then went onto a channel for two years where I learned how to do live TV presenting, how to get out of situations. So it was really invaluable, that experience. And then I got T4 and then the rest was history after T4. Over a 20 year period, roughly, been one of the most, you've probably spent more time on screen than a lot of other presenters, you know, in terms of the amount of hours that we've seen you up there. From 90, from 99 to 2007, maybe eight, I was doing a live TV show every week, every week. And look at you now. Oh, <laughs> kicking back. <laughs> look at you now, chatting to me on Zoom. 
yeah, but this is, this is what it's all about, though. This is like this is what it's all about. Absolutely, yeah. Having a nice reminisce with a brew, but yeah. yeah so I, I'm really fortunate in that through that whole period of, of kind of kids TV, I got to learn how to do television. And these days, that really doesn't happen. And that's why I think TV is struggling in finding new talent because YouTubers just sit in front of a laptop like this and talk about themselves. They have no interest whatsoever about with anyone else. So they, they find it difficult to communicate in a live TV setting. And those who want to be TV presenters can't be TV presenters because YouTube is more popular than being a TV presenter, but YouTube doesn't work. So therefore the YouTubers can't be TV presenters. The TV presenters can't be TV presenters because the YouTubers or the producers think that YouTubers are the future and they're not. So it's just a vicious circle of, of, of faces that keep going around and, and hosting TV shows. I think the best thing to do is, I think personally, is broadcasters need to put a channel to one side and all it is is new talent. It's like a new faces for TV. Comedy, music, presenting, arts, just get everything on there fresh, brand new, faces we've never seen before. And that's how you're going to grow talent in the UK. It's a good idea, that. Do you think anybody's working on that or what? Probably not. Maybe you should knock on the doors. There's no money in it. You know, they're like, well, who's going to watch programmes who you don't know who they are? Who's going to listen to music who you don't know who you are? And to me, that's the whole point. Invest invest in young talent that's what we've got to do we've really like you know radio stations have a responsibility tv networks have a responsibility to get new talent out there and you know my old mate june sarpong is now at the head of diversity at the bbc she's doing a cracking job and i think if we can mix diversity with youth then the future is going to be really bright for everyone yeah. but people just need a break they really do what have been the highlights of your uh, TV and radio career, apart from working with me at Radio X? Oh, that's, that, that's without doubt a, a <laughs> highlight. Every Friday, come on, my man. The indie disco, it was good, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, great fun. Um, <laughs> I think the opportunity to work on T4 for seven years, six, seven years, was a highlight, because that's when telly had, had loads of money. And this is not a word of a lie. I used to go to LA with T4, and we'd do one movie junket that lasted 15 minutes, We'd spend the rest of the day there, the following day there, and fly back. That was wow. it. Party time. We'd go all the way to LA for 15 minutes of an interview about a movie. Yeah. Uh, and we'd be in a, we were in Ibiza every week during the summer holidays. Working with Chris Evans on Boys and Girls, that was a real, a real experience. Yeah. And then Family Fortunes for 14 series. Amazing. Yeah, that was great. Family Fortunes, did you watch the original series? with the, Was it Bob Monkhouse and you watched every single episode as part of your research? Yeah, that, that was for boys and girls. Chris Evans said, you know, you, you've got to be a game show host, but also you've got to know the show. So we did this TV show. It was an hour live. And Chris said, You're having, there's no auto cue. There's no cue cards. You've got to learn the show. Because if you learn the show, you live the show. And if you live the show, you talk the show. I'm like, okay, I get that. I don't think I did it at the time, but I do know. Yeah. Because to me, all that was like, oh, shit, I've got to learn an hour, parrot fashion, and know where I'm going next. And that was probably the most tested and most difficult, but most beneficial thing I've ever done in my career. Yeah. It worked with Chris Evans. And, and now I get it. I get what he was saying. Back then, I was, all I could think was, you fucking asshole. I've just got to learn an hour's worth of telly. Yeah. You know, and isn't it interesting though. It's great advice, isn't it? Because, like, yeah. to play a football match, it's not scripted, is it? You just, you know, the game, you know, the pitch, you know, the rules, and you just get out there yeah. and, and do it. And it's the same sort of advice, isn't it? And that's what he was saying, but. I, I couldn't see past the fact that I had to learn a script and I was script word for word. Yeah. Uh, and what he was saying was, 
don't learn it word for word. Learn the show. Live and breathe the show. Because if, if you submerge yourself in it, the words come naturally. It's like anything, isn't it? You yeah. know? Uh, and I will always be in Chris's debt for, for that experience. Because now that I get it, it, subsequently it's made TV a lot easier. And that's what I tell people when they say, oh, can I be a TV presenter? I say, just be yourself. Yeah, definitely. You know, like, like you, when you put the fader up, Clint, you're just yourself. I don't swear as much. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you don't become like, you know, Clint Jazz Hands, you know, the musician. You, you're Clint the guy that we'd like to have a pint with. And I think that's what's really important. Yeah, good. Well, we can have a pint at the other side of this, can't we? Absolutely. Get this nonsense out <laughs> of the way. What other heroes have you met? You mentioned Chris Evans. You must have met a, a lot of your heroes uh, from various fields over the years. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't remember most of them. But when Tess was working in LA on a show called LA Pool Party, and it was when I was doing T4 still, and Ian Brown was playing at the House of Blues, I think it was. Uh, and we went to watch him, and we, we kind of went for a drink afterwards. And that was one of those pinch yourself moments, because like, he's such a nice bloke. Yeah, he's a people person. Like... He was dead genuine, dead down to earth, welcomed us with open arms. And we, you know, we had a great night. And it's just things like that that you kind of think, oh, my God, I did that. Yeah. And now telling Phoebe and Amber, you know, when they see, like, bizarrely, they're, they're getting into, like, 90s hip-hop and R&B. So they've got TLC and Destiny's Child on the stereo, which is really weird and random. Yeah. And then I'll dig out some old T4 interview where we interviewed them all. I'm like, oh my God, that's you with Beyonce. Like, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so you've got more credibility when you do that. It gets your brownie points, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. You're doing that thing at the moment, Formula E, which is yeah. fascinating. It's like Formula One racing cars, but fully electric. And it's an incredible um, culture, isn't it? A new culture. You're sort of the main presenter and well, journalist I am in the UK for the Formula E stuff. Yeah. But it, it's, what's really funny is doing this, people are like, oh, you're not doing telly anymore. I'm like, yeah, I am actually. I'm like, oh, where'd you do it? I'm like, worldwide. We did our worldwide feed. So I do what's called the English language feed for Formula E. And we do one show, which is then put out in 47 different territories, I think it is, worldwide. Yeah. And in China, believe it or not, the English language feed, we had more than 300 million viewers. Wow. It's unbelievable. It's, it's like, it's ridiculous. So we go out uh, pretty much all around the world. And Formula E, like you say, it's single-seater racing cars, but they're all electric. And it has its naysayers, uh, its detractors. But I think the message, the positive message that it's putting out is electric, renewable energy can be entertaining. And soon enough, we're going to have no choice because, you know, the, the governments are saying that fossil fuel energy is going to be phased out in the not too distant future so we need to start looking at renewable energy and i think electric is the obvious one yeah and it's working you know all the big brands have got an electric offering in their showrooms and stuff like that so i'm really really enjoying it because like i've gone from entertainment and into sports and entertainment it's all about all right i'm going to watch you you entertain me yeah whereas when you're presenting sport i realize that sports fans are obsessive so there's no point having an argument with a sports fan because Darren Fletcher, who does the commentary on BT Sport, he said to me, never, ever, ever give out a statistic that you think might be wrong 
because there's someone watching that's always better than you. <laughs> yeah. They're obsessed with sports. Sports fans are obsessed. Yeah. And the, like my first show, I got one of the driver's names wrong. I called him Maro instead of Mario. Right. right. Not too different. Oh, my God. People went absolutely nuts. <laughs> like, he doesn't know his stuff. I'm like, flipping heck. It's only, you know, a couple of letters. Give me a breath. <laughs> But it, it, it's, that's another completely new set of skills, be, like working in sport, because you need to back up your statements with the odd statistic, and your statistic has to be right, and you need to know the in, intricacies of what it's all about. So it's been nice learning about Formula E. It's been nice learning about the drivers, and it's also, therefore, nice having the confidence to go on the grid and talk about what you've learned. Yeah. Have you got to drive one of those cars yet? Yeah, I have. Rapid. Have you? Rapid. Yeah. yeah, they're like you know what they're like. They're like, um, you know, you get a remote control car. They, they sound like that. I've got, I've actually got YouTube here. Listen, to this. this is what these cars sound like. I don't know if you hear this. It, it sounds like a Tie Fighter from Star Wars. It's mad, isn't it? It sounds like they were not as fast as um, normal racing cars, but they're up there, aren't they? Yeah, top speed, hundred ninety-five uh, mile an hour. Yeah. The, the best way to describe it is, it's like being at Blackpool Pleasure Beach or any fairground or any roller coaster, that when you sat and it catapults you forward. Yeah. Because that's how the car works. It works on magnets, on, on an electric motor. It just shoots the car forward. So there's no rev range. So the torque is immediate. The energy put into the wheels can be instantaneous. So it's how they control all that and manage to get it actually rolling. So it, instead of wheel spinning. It's kind of science and sport come together, really. Do you find that a job like that brings a child out in you, Vernon? You back me into a corner there, Clint, because I don't think I've been an adult since I was 19. <laughs> I've, been, I've been fortunate enough that I haven't kind of... I think that, that's the one thing that I'm, I'm really... like. It, it just, you can see I'm, I'm smiling my head off, is that I've been 19 since I was 19. I feel the same, exactly. The position I'm in in life, generally, I mean, I'm no... I've got kids, I'm an adult, you know, physically, but in my head I'm still sat here, you know, surrounded by toys, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, it's a, it, I'm really lucky like that because I know, you know, there's a lot of people that uh, that don't have it like that. And, mm. and you and I, I know you in particular, really appreciative of, of everything that you've achieved and and to to have that feeling of waking up like, right, 19, let's go and get it. Let's. What are we going to do? Still got that drive and that, the balls to say, right, come on, let's try something new, let's get out there. I think if I'd have lost that, I don't know what kind of person I would have been, to be honest with you, Clint. I, yeah. I, because I, I like riding the top of the wave, you know, and I'm not really, I don't get bogged down with, with negativity because I think if you do, as we know with well-being being a big topic of discussion, that can very quickly become a slippery slope. And, you know, we, we both know that's difficult to, to get out of. Mm. So I always try to remain positive, no matter what's going on. No matter what's going on, there's always got to be a positive side. And we were saying earlier on at the beginning, lockdown has enabled us all as a family to get closer together. And I think that's what's really important. What's, you know, adulting, to me, isn't important. The only thing you've got to do in life is pay your tax. That's the one responsibility you have <laughs> to society, pay your tax. No, it is. It is. The rest, you can do whatever you want. You can go and do whatever you want. True, that's good words, isn't it? 
Let's talk about Manchester. That's the, the main reason for this podcast. Yeah. The spirit of the city. I mean, obviously, you, you live down south, but you're very much, you, you're still oozing that northern spirit, that Manchester spirit. Do you miss it? I mean, I know you visit your folks for your regular, don't you? Do, do you miss the city? Yeah, I do. I miss it a lot because it, it, it was a big influence on me as a person. Music, fashion, lifestyle. And I think Manchester is a unique city because it's a city that develops its own trends. It's a city that develops its own style, its own culture. But I think it's, I think it's the only city that resonates outside of, of itself. You know, like, this is no offence to anyone who lives in any other city across the nation, okay? But apart from Jasper Carrot, Cadbury's Chocolate and Land Rover, what has Birmingham ever given us? Slade. <laughs> One track that we love every year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a couple. There's a couple. I get it. I get it. I get it. There's a couple. No, I know what you're saying. I, I, I'm totally with you. I think Manchester's so important to us culturally in where it sits geographically, you know. It's got that influence from north and south. And then when it comes together, we translate it into something completely unique, you know. And I think Manchester, when I was kicking about, it was so small. Yeah. You know, you'd have a couple of bars on Deansgate, maybe Dry Bar. That's as far as you went in the Northern Quarter. Yeah. It didn't expand to Ancoats, unless you wanted some crack. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's still like now. It's, it's like you say, it's crammed now with bars and venues and everything. But you still walk. You can walk from one end of the. It takes like fifteen minutes to walk from one end of the city to the other, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it's so small. But also, you know, like all that new development where the city stadium is. Like Ancourt's now looks amazing. Yeah, it's it's all been redeveloped and it's all coming through. And I think the future is bright for Manchester. But one thing that I really enjoyed when I we started going out in there in the, in the very early nineties was it had a sense of community. And if you went out on a regular basis, you met the same faces on a regular basis. Yeah. So you you therefore became mates with strangers who might not necessarily have been living in Manchester, but from all its surrounding area. But because you all reconvened every Saturday, you saw each other. So therefore you kind of became mates. It became a community, you know, a socialising community. And I, and I asked a friend, I wonder if that is the case today, because there are so many places to go. You know, Manchester City as a city, its population is so widespread. Uh, still got a huge student population. The football teams now are equally as good as, well, it's debatable, but they're equally as good when you look at the Premier League. You know, they're both two fantastic teams. That has that influence. Various bars. I, I think what it needs, and I don't know whether there is, but I think it needs, I mean, I know Sasha and the Warehouse Project are, are doing a, a, an awesome job. And I think it needs that one iconic night spot again i don't know i don't i might be wrong maybe the warehouse project maybe that's what it is or maybe our live music venues maybe that's what it is but yeah. i just think that because it is now so big after we lost that personal touch that manchester always brought mm. i don't know because i haven't been out in manchester for a long time you you know you you know that answer to that better than i do yeah it was great up until nine weeks ago God knows what's going yeah. on. And it's like they're talking about opening the shops in a couple of weeks and uh, opening the markets and blah, blah, blah. But the clubs and venues, it's um, 
it's going to be a long time before we start DJing to 400 people in a sweaty little place like South Nightclub, you know what I mean? Oh, I know. So we'll just have to see what happens there. Yeah, but that, that's what I loved about going out in Manchester, is it's real sense of community. Yeah. You know, it's real sense of togetherness. And I think we, we've proven, Manchester's proven that it's still got that with, you know, unfortunately what happened with the uh, arena bombing and then coming together as, as tight a community as we, in, during lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. So, Vernon, uh, before we get off, first of all, give me some of your favourite humans of Manchester, two or three names. All right, so I'm going to go Tony Wilson because I think I spent a lot of time and money in the Hacienda. I don't know what they did with it, but (laughs) (laughs) I've got an idea. Uh, But I think the way he brought his passion of music to the city, you know, on his Granada Report shows and, and stuff like that, and with his influence and factory records and what have you. Yeah. Uh, I've got to say, Mike Pickering and Graham Park, the two DJs. Fred Dibner, even though he's from Bolton, but I think he's a cultural icon. Yeah. And then I'm going to doff my cap to all those innovators during the late 80s and early 90s who created that community that I talked about earlier on. All the bar owners, the club owners, the young kids churning out flyers, our our amazing broad spectrum of music that was available in Manchester. I'll doff my cap to them in that one because I think that's what made the city as great as it is. And finally, Vernon, try and describe Manchester in three words. Heart and soul. That's good. I like that. Beautiful. And I think you're the first person to mention Fred Dibner on these podcasts as well, but I'm with you on that as well. What a legend he was. Oh, yeah. Do you like that? Oh, do you like that? <laughs> if, you've, if you listen to this podcast and if you've not heard of Fred Dibner, make sure that's the next name that you Google because he's just absolute legend. Vernon yeah. Kay, thank you for being a human of excess Manchester. Cheers, my man. Appreciate that, Clint. Cheers, buddy. That was Vernon Kay. On the next episode, I'm going to be joined by Mancunian poet and musician Dave Scott, a.k.a. Our Kid. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester. Give us a rating. Feel free to leave us a review as well. We always like to hear your feedback. Stay safe. Look after each other, Manchester. Thanks for listening. See you next week. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.